And welcome back to J&K Presents as we are once again continuing our Cancelled Too Soon series in a brand new year. This month we will be discussing the 2010 one-season wonder that was Terriers. My name is Kiram Kusan. You can find me on Twitter for now at KiramC1985. Uh, please leave a four or five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform so as to help people discover the great work that we are doing here at The Real World. My co-host, as always, he is the K, Kevin Ford. He is at KFord13. Before we get into things, I just want to plug some things that Kevin and I are doing, have been doing for this website. Uh, Brian and I are continuing our run of underrated sequels on Pantheon+. Plus. We recently discussed Gremlins 2 and The Lost World. Uh, in future weeks, we will be reviewing uh, such wonders as Shrek 2, Rocky Balboa, Terminator Dark Fate, and The Matrix Resurrections. You can also listen to Ben Phillips and I. We did our top 10 movies of 2022. Uh, Kevin, if you go into the archives, he and his friend Ben uh, did from Broadcast Depth. And all I'm going to say is, if you are a fan of Yellow Jackets, which is coming back in a couple months, now's a great time to also... Uh, rewatch or catch up on Lost and listen uh, to from broadcast depth. And Kevin Ford also has his Adventure Time podcast as well. Together, Kevin and I have discussed uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul as part of the Real Bad series, uh, Barry, which may be coming back sometime this year, plus a bevy of other shows that have been canceled too soon. So, Kevin, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are discussing Terriers. Kevin, this is a very unique episode because unlike all of the other shows besides the most recent seasons of Better Call Saul and Barry, we went into this blind. Neither of us had seen the show. So this is in a situation where Kevin had watched the show and I hadn't, I had seen it and Kevin hadn't. This is a case we both went in and we were like, okay, here we go. Terriers generally regarded as one of the best shows to ever be canceled too soon. A one season wonder Tons of critic praise. Kevin Ford, Terriers, what happened? Well, I don't know what happened because it was one of those shows that I had never even heard of until you proposed it for the show. And it sounded interesting because we were sort of tinkering about, we had some ideas about what we wanted to talk about in terms of shows, but some of them were a bit larger in terms of how many episodes there were and all these things. And you said, well, I got a one season, 13 episode thing that I haven't watched, you haven't watched. It's called Terriers, and I was like, yeah, okay, I know, I, I've never heard of it, but I saw uh, uh, Donal, Donnell Logue was on it, and I'm like, oh, I like him, sure, let's watch it. And then I was wondering, what is this critically acclaimed show that Jerome was telling me about? Did I watch the wrong thing? What? It, why is there a poster that has this ferocious little dog on it with two guys who look like slackers, and then that show has nothing to do with anything? It, it, it's a very bizarre show in general. I think it it was a show that didn't feel like it was very sure of itself. And it also feels out of time. Like I was watching it and there was times where I felt like some of the production elements felt like what I would have seen with when we were watching Veronica Mars back in 2004. So it kind of feels like it's a show that it felt like almost like too late, even for its time in 2010, like the golden age of television was here. I remember at that time I was like watching, I was watching Netflix through discs at the time. I don't even know if the streaming service had started yet or if it had it was infancy. But I remember getting a lot of like HBO shows uh, and Breaking Bad and stuff like that uh, through the mail and watching a lot of that stuff. So stuff like this on TV completely passed me by. And this feels like it, that's why I think it interests me so much that critics apparently heralded it so much is because it feels so much weaker than a lot of the stuff that was going on at that time. So a, a bit of an anomaly of a show, but. I'm glad I watched it just especially for this podcast, but yeah, a very strange show altogether. So what happened? Well, I just, I think it was very unsure of itself. I think it, it, it didn't find its footing until too late. And I think it just kind of got lost in uh, a, a renaissance of television at the time. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I, when you look at the show, the, it has 
a lot of things going for it. It also has a lot of things going against it. So I want to go into the things that are for it first, because these are the aspects of the show that I was most interested in. Uh, if you look at the creator or one of the producers, one of the producers is Sean Ryan, who is the co-executive producer and creator of The Shield, which is well-regarded as one of the best TV shows ever. Kevin, I don't believe you've seen it, but I think you know that The Shield is well-regarded, well right? I, I haven't seen all of it, but I did watch a long time ago, like on my, my brother and his friend were watching the DVDs, and I caught a handful of episodes, and I really liked what I saw. But yes, yeah. I'm, I'm well aware of its reputation. So, and just looking at the staff writers, one of the staff writers is Leslie Headland, who has gone on to create Russian Doll, the first season of which I would say is kind of a masterpiece of television. Uh, you've got Fief Sutton, who is a producer. He was a writer on Tears. Tim Minear was an executive producer. He was an executive producer on both Firefly and Angel. You also, on the directing side... Uh, you had Ryan Johnson, who, of course, has directed uh, many movies that have never, ever garnered any controversy whatsoever. Uh, he directed episode five. You also had Adam Arkin, Clark Johnson, who directed episodes. I mean, there's a lot of tremendous pedigree behind the show. So I can see why people would say that this is one of the best TV shows ever. But like you, Kevin, I think that this show has a lot of problems. I think the name of the show is one of the biggest ones. I think Terriers is a, is if not a deceptive name, then just an outright bad name. I don't know what else you could have called it, but just naming it after the dog, even like the first episode has like a bunch of dogs in it. It's, it's really, really strange. I think the tonal issues are definitely worth mentioning as well as I think the show had a real hard time balancing uh, the comedy versus kind of the, the drama of the show. I have a theory as to why this show didn't land for us in 2023. We were watching this 13 years after it aired. I believe that Veronica Mars season four covered a lot of the same territory as this show in terms of the plot and kind of the, there's a lot of real estate going on and things of that nature. So I think in some ways, I think Veronica Mars did things better in terms of like building up the world of this, of Neptune, California as opposed to this part of San Diego, California. So I think that's one of the things that is going against it for us and how we watch the show. I think in terms of tone, we watch a show like Barry, and I think Barry does an unbelievable job of balancing dark comedy and the drama. I think Barry is just very, very well done. And in some ways, I think, I don't know if it takes any influence from Terrier's but in terms of only the tone, not necessarily the plot, I could see a lot of Barry in the show. And finally, I think the biggest thing is that I think there are a lot of elements of Terriers that can be found in Better Call Saul. And let's face it, Better Call Saul is a significantly better show. I'm specifically thinking of, of two things. Number one, there is a specific episode of Terriers that deals with a cartel, and it just... After watching Better Call Saul, I can never go back and watch something with a cartel and ever have uh, ever have like dramatic feelings because I think Better Call Saul just did a better job of it because they actually made you invest in the storyline of what's going on with the cartel. And it, it, in the show, it was just it was a throwaway. The characters were relevant. And that's and I think for all of those reasons, I think we there are a lot of strikes against the show for us because we're coming to this. 13 years later, after having seen a lot of other shows that possibly were influenced by this one. I agree and disagree. I agree that all of those things make this show worse, but I also think if those shows didn't exist, this still wouldn't be a good television show. And I think it's because I, the characters, especially the two main characters, are very shallow. There's a lot of telling, not showing with a lot of their backstory. And so a lot of things that happen in the show don't resonate because we haven't learned about these characters enough. Like they and it feels like they're so unsure of themselves and even that they try to go more broad than they try to go deep. Like, OK, so Donnell Oak's character, like he's an alcoholic with an ex-wife and she's getting remarried and all this stuff. But I don't know enough about their relationship to know why he's so invested and still in love with her. And then, oh, what if we also gave him a crazy sister? 
well, what what's that relationship like? Why not only why why is she crazy and what happened, but what is their relationship as kids? Did something happen? Why are they so close? And then in the episode where his partner's girlfriend cheats on him, I haven't seen enough of like their relationship or strife between the two of them for that to even know like, well, is she I don't have an understanding for why she did this other than she got drunk. What what about their relationship? Is he truly never home? You're telling me he isn't, but I haven't had enough time to see this, so this isn't really landing for me. Um, and then it's not until we get into the later episodes where you get to see some of that stuff with the mate with Donnell Loke's character and his relationship with the police to this stuff, you know, the, the the chief of police when they used to be partners and things like that. Where I'm like, okay, so now some of this stuff feels a little more deep, but it's too late. We've gone nine episodes where I feel like we've got these very shallow characters. And the show is almost like throwing these things at us like a crazy sister or a girlfriend cheating on her thing to like chase an audience or just try to grab people without giving me more meat uh, to the story. And I feel like the detective part of it, like the actual parts where they're investigating the the crimes and the stories, that's the best part of the show. But I don't really care about the two people who are investigating them so much. So that that to me is where the show fell flat. And when they finally gave us to a little bit of that in the end, it was too late. That's why I think the show ultimately didn't work. I can see that. And I think, again, why the show is canceled, very, very low ratings. And in, in some ways, the ratings are still very low, even compared to what you would get now. So that's, of course, the biggest reason, even though it was critically acclaimed. 13 episodes, also a lot. I would imagine the fact that uh, this is a drama, kind of a 45-minute to an hour drama, not an inexpensive show, even though I don't know that you necessarily see a lot of the money on the screen because a lot of the settings are pretty basic and there really aren't any quote-unquote stars per se to the show. And I'm sure this is also a very hard show to market because do you market it as a comedy? Do you market it as a drama? Do you market it as a dramedy? I think those are all things that that kind of complicate the, the issues that are coming with the show. So, and even, and even today, if I'm scrolling through Hulu and I see this poster of this tiny dog with giant teeth and then the two guys in the background, I press play and I watch a show. I'm like, this is not at all what this, this advertising from, it almost looks like it would have, it's like a, like the same marketing you do a scene for like a road trip or those kind of movies, like in the two thousands. So I'm expecting like this, maybe it's sort of like a zany show with this little yappy dog. And it's, nothing like that at all it's a very bizarre thumbnail and even even the first episode even the first episode hints that it's going to kind of be this wacky thing because they saved the dog winston which i know you might have your problems with the show but you had to appreciate them rescuing a dog i did appreciate that and i appreciate that they followed the rule that if you have a bulldog and it's a male it has to be named winston and it's a female you have to name it matilda is that is that a british bulldogs reference of course it is yes if you're a wrestling fan, you don't, and you have a bulldog, and it's not named Matilda or Winston. What are you even doing? What about naming? She could be named after the the titular character from the musical Matilda from Netflix. That, whatever you could you could tell somebody that's what it is, or whatever. As long as it's named that, that's that's what matters at the end of the day. Who would want to publicly admit to being a wrestling fan these days? That's fair. I also didn't know there was a Netflix show named Matilda. I know the movie. Well, it is also a movie. It is it, so there is a movie Matilda. There is a musical Matilda based off of the book and the movie, and now there is a musical on Netflix based off of the Broadway musical. Okay, that, that's <laughs> that's 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 a lot. It is a lot. Anyway, I want to dive in a little bit. So one of the things uh, that you mentioned is the Hank and Gretchen relationship, and I think that's a really that's actually I think a good place for us to kind of start and explore like what about the show didn't work because yeah. you, you have this character, Hank Dolworth, who is a recovering alcoholic, which is kind of a trope in these noir stories. Like the detective who drinks too much, it's too focused on his job. That's kind of who Hank Dolworth is. It's kind of a modern version of a, like a Philip Marlowe or some other character that you would see in like your, your dime store, like, detective novels from like the thirties and the forties. So you have this character who is an alcoholic. He's trying to be a better person and he's, he's continuing to mess up, which is fine. Like it's, it's a TV show. You need, you need to have some drama. But I think for me, the issue that I continue to have is 
why is he continuing to interact with his ex-wife in almost every episode? It's like they are constantly having to come up with a pretext for him to talk with his ex-wife. And it's, it's just, it's really bizarre to me that they felt like they had to do this. Maybe it's because, you know, they hired this actress to be in the role. So they have to bring her on for every episode because they're contractually obligated but then they drag in the uh, the the new husband into this, and they give like the 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 new husband like uh, a backstory like where he may or may not have been involved in pedophilia, which is really really bizarre. And I'm not sure that I was satisfied with the conclusion that they came to in terms of that situation. But I think the problem is that even in the episode that flashes back three years prior. I still don't get a sense of Gretchen and Hank's relationship in terms of why did they actually fall in love with each other? Because in the flashback, like they're having problems. Clearly she is aware that he is drinking too much. And it just like that flashback episode should have given us something in terms of like, why were they actually together? And I never got, I understand why they're friendly with each other. Because Hank is a pretty affable guy and he's pretty charismatic, but I don't, I never got an idea of why they were romantically involved with each other. I understood Gretchen, I feel like I understood Gretchen and Jason and why they were together much more so. And a lot of that is because Jason is an architect, Jason has a career, uh, Jason seems like a pretty nice guy, Jason was honest about what he did apparently on his second date. So I feel like I understood their relationship much more. And you mentioned the showing and not telling in relation to that, to the issue of what Jason was doing. Why didn't Jason tell Hank that in the episode? Like, why wasn't Jason like, you know, I told her this already. I thought the same thing. Yeah. And and I talked about, you know, trying to like chase an audience or like give them a hook with like the crazy sister and the cheating and stuff like this. I forgot about the pedophilia thing, but I thought like, yeah, let's give this really extreme thing to like get some buzz or people talking or, you know, hook an audience there. And it just doesn't really amount to anything. And I almost feel like it was like too extreme. Like, I feel like there could have been some, cause that's like, so hard to recover from or like it almost makes you sour on Gretchen too for being like he told me about this he didn't do it and you're like didn't he though because I feel like there's still you know uh, there's some doubt in what Hank is finding about it and the talking to the other person it's like you went too far with this where it almost makes everybody look bad in this situation but yeah in terms of the relationship between Hank and Gretchen you're totally right in that the flashback didn't really tell us much about why they were together or how they, you know, why they were in love with each other. It also didn't really give us this like final straw event that kind of broke them apart. Um, and so you just sort of see like the things getting bad, but nothing ever like breaking or, or seeing why that their bond was still so strong, even when Hank was at his lowest in terms of being an alcoholic and a workaholic at the same time. Um, but you're right. Like we, I feel like we do get a lot more between her between Gretchen and, and Jason. And, but it also, you're right. Like they have to manufacture all these reasons for them to keep talking to each other because, you know, most shows it's like, okay, they have a kid together that they share custody over. Even if they, you know, if, even if they wanted to go with the route of terriers, maybe they shared custody over a terrier. And that was the thing that kept them coming together. Something to, to have them go as opposed to this thing about, buying a house and all these other things. And, 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 it, and it's a nice metaphor eventually for when Hank decides to sell it at the end. And that's, and that's nice. But, uh, but overall, yeah, it feels very, it feels very strange that this divorced couple would still be in each other's lives to this extent. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that is, that is an issue. I think in terms of the Brit and Kate relationship, it's the manufacturing is such a weird thing because like it's a TV show, so you have to create drama. But I think the question that I always ask myself is, does this drama feel authentic? Does it feel in some way realistic? And of course you're talking about something that isn't, but for me, the, the issue with so many of these relationships and so many of these situations is that it feels like they're doing these actions because the script is telling them to do so and not, that they're actually doing this. And I think I think one of the biggest problems with Terriers, and I think this actually hints at, 
you know, the problem with Gretchen and Hank, the world is too small. I think in many cases, like we get these one-off side characters, but we don't have a consistent like group of like role players that we can go to in each episode, like some side characters that, you know, maybe they're in one scene, but they add some flavor. They make us invest in this part of San Diego. And I just think that that's, that's part of what's missing. And I say that because I think one of the things that really bothered me is that, so Kate and Brit are a couple, and eventually Kate cheats on Brit, which is which is bad. It's not great. Um, I'm going to have some notes on who she cheats with in a couple minutes. But who does she go and talk to about this? She goes and talks to Hank, of all people, which is a huge no-no in my mind. And I'm I'm not I I don't think that it is it is it is not okay to talk to if if you are dealing with a male friendship, you don't go and talk to the other male friend about what you did because Hank is in a terribly awkward position at this point. And it just feels like it's so weird that we never see that Kate has other friends. Like she has other classmates who are very clearly younger, but I, I need to understand why Kate is talking to Hank about cheating on Brit and not talking to literally anyone else, a parent, a sibling, somebody else. Right, because you're like, okay, so she has her class and Brit, and that's it. Like, not a not a mom, not a sister, not a friend. Even you know, she eventually tells Gretchen, but I also am like, okay, so are they still close friends, even though Gretchen's no longer with Hank? And why? Like, what friendship did they establish? Is it through Brit or not? Like, I, yeah, lots of questions about that. She also does it like in the daytime in a diner, which seems like a very weird place for this scene to have occurred. Very strange. And it also seems like when they get to like Britain, like somebody, you know, one of his you talk about his past as like a as a criminal and then someone tries to pull him back in, at least from what I've seen. I'm like, it seems like Brit's moved on and is pretty happy and we get that established, but he's still going to go back and do it. And like, it feels very flimsy. Like, it's not like he's until then. It isn't like I'm getting this idea that he's, he's this person who's trying to go straight, but always sort of like teeters on falling back into his old ways. I don't get that at all. Um, and I always feel like the his relationship with Katie is incredibly strong. Like they both seem very over the moon with each other. They're nice to each other and all this. And like, okay, so he's missing a night out with your classmates to go drink at a bar. Like that's, that's an offense. Like I don't, I, all of it just seems like it's not real. Like that wouldn't happen in, there's nothing about that reality that makes any sense to me. Um, just the dynamics in her life, unless she really has so few people in her life that going out with her friends after a regular class during the session to go drink and do karaoke is the social event of the season because she apparently has nobody else. So, yeah, just a lot of just like head scratcher things where I'm like, I feel like this is such not, the like you said, the world is so small that it feels like it, it's not realistic. And I think the other issue with that is that so Kate has kind of been flirting with one of her one of her male classmates and it's kind of teased that they're going to do something like clearly when she goes to the karaoke, like something's going to happen like that's that's TV 101 something is going to happen. But as it turns out, she does not sleep with the classmate. She sleeps with her professor. Kevin, do you want my notes on this? Yes, because I, I know the professor is like a random Parks and Rec character from a season. He was there. Season four, Leslie runs for office and he is one of her campaign managers for a few episodes. But I don't know him. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do you want to know who he kind of looks like, too? Yes. The Chulies Gum representative from Clerks. Yeah, a little bit. I'd say the Chulies Gum representative is a little more. How am I going to say this? Not sure. He's not as short. No, but much taller. Uh, he look the Chulies guy gum looks like he might go to to synagogue more than her her professor. Okay, that's 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 very delicately handled. I appreciate that's that. That's the best I could do. I'm sorry. Uh yes. Uh, he he gives more of an East Coast vibe. We'll say yeah. that. So so okay. So what about this guy? This actor. I mean, I don't really have I don't have notes about the actor. I have notes. about oh, okay. what the Professor is doing. Okay. I mean, well, the, the other thing I want to say too is that the 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 classmate that's flirting with her first of all. Very heavy handed flirting from his side. Like, obviously, I think she's like she she's not stupid. She sees that she's interested or whatever. And he knows she has a boyfriend, and all this other stuff. But it seems like she's still one of those people that 
maybe if she's not getting the attention she wants from Brit, at least having like a, a fun flirt in class is harmless, right? Um, maybe there's something like that. Like she likes the attention uh, of that, but nothing's gonna happen there. At least, and I'm saying this in her sober, totally normal mind. But he also just looks like someone straight out of like a male model catalog on this random vet class, which also kind of takes me out of it a little bit. Like Katie, I was like, yeah, going to vet school kind of makes sense. This guy looks like he's like, he's almost like Photoshopped as a human being. Right. Um, because there is no other character who looks like that. None. It's, it's really bizarre. Uh, but anyways, yes. Yeah, so then she, she wakes up and in her professor's bed, uh, the next day. But yes. So, you yourself are a professor, so take it away. So, I mean, let's start with the fact that you should never, ever sleep with your students. I think that's almost implied, but especially when you're at this level, like clearly when you are at a vet school, like this is very, very specific. Like you're in a situation where you're probably going to see the student for three or four years and to sleep with that student is is pretty repugnant in a lot of ways, but. I think the bigger issue, and this this actually to me is in some ways worse, don't take the responsibility of taking everybody's cell phones. That is very that is very bad. You are talking about adults. Don't do it. Don't take the responsibility because karma in this case was the professor having to deliver the cell phone back to Kate and then be put in a situation where he was almost murdered by somebody in the cartel. So that is that is the reason that you don't collect cell phones, Kevin, because you might end up in an apartment with someone from a cartel. You so never you, know. So when you're in class, what is your rule with cell phones? Just out of sight, don't, you know, silent, if whatever. They, if they are using it for class, you use it for class. If you are okay. not using it, then just put it away. Because I do have one of my friends was an English teacher in high school, and he's like, obviously, no cell phones and stuff. He's like, man, but they're so useful sometimes to like, if you need people, as opposed to like handing out 30 dictionaries, you know, you can look up something on your phone. Dictionaries um, in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> I know, right? The other thing, though, is I was thinking about this. So the dynamic of the class going out and, and like partying and stuff with the professor, like kind of helming it. So I had so I, I I was in grad school. I just finished. But I had one class that was in person uh, at the time. And it was and I think it was something that she borrowed from when she was a graduate student or a doctorate student where end of end of the semester, like end of the final class for people who wanted to, they'd go out to the bar across like the the street, and, like first rounds on her. And, it, you know, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't like a thing where anyone was pressured into it. It's like if you want to do it, that's great. If you don't, that's also fine. And it was literally like classes over. I think maybe it was one of those things like the next week you turn in your final paper electronically or something, but that was it. There was never like this after each class or these intermittent events. It was like one professor did this, maybe another one offered it too, but especially in grad school, you know, everyone's of age and, and part of it is almost like a networking event more than anything else versus just like this blow off some steam hangout thing. I think doing it one time at the end of the semester as like a, yeah, you did it kind of thing as in grad school is fine. Doing it in this respect, I think is not so okay. What are your general thoughts on this? It's, it's just a very bad idea because it's not like they're even going for one drink. Like they are doing karaoke. So they are at the bar for an extended amount of time and they are getting drunk, drunk with a capital D like Kate is yeah. wasted. That's like buttery that's nipple shots, problem. not like having a beer or even like a martini or something like that. Just like shots at the bar. Yeah, that that that's that's the biggest problem. And I think in terms of like how this affects the show, like it puts Kate in a really awkward situation and Kate and, Kate and Britt break up. But they, of course, they come back together at the end of the season. And in terms of sort of their relation, I mean, yeah, sort of. <laughs> but in terms of their relationship, I think. I really wanted to get a better sense of like who these people are. And I think you got a little bit of it. Like I, again, I come back to the better call Saul comparison. Do you remember the, uh, the episode, uh, the day of Gretchen's, um, it is her engagement party. They, the, at the beginning of the episode, there's a montage of them getting ready and you kind of see, uh, that Brett and Kate have a lot of sex and yes, I really liked that because it gave us a sense that, oh, these two people 
are really, really into each other. And I, I would not that I necessarily want them, you know, having sex on camera all the time, but I wanted more of a sense of their relationship together. And I think there are times when the show just got so knee deep into the plot that they forgot about character. And I think, again, I look even, even a show like Veronica Mars, which yes, it did have more episodes and yes, it was on network TV, but I always felt like I got a better sense of Veronica Mars and those characters. I think the narration helps in that case because we always, we would kind of always know what Veronica Mars is thinking. But I also think, again, we got to know this, we got to know, uh, this part of San Diego better. And I want to give a specific example. So there is this episode uh, with a trans sex worker na- named Michaela. And this is probably one of the better episodes of the series, I would say. Agreed. Because because I think Michaela, I think she's a really good performer. And I think she does a great job. I think that the show handles her situation as sensitively as you can in 2010. I, it's certainly not perfect. Like the moment when she pees standing up, I definitely rolled my eyes at that. But just in terms of the performance and the character, I was like, this is good. The thing that was disappointing is that we didn't get Michaela in more episodes. Like it feels like you're going to add flavor to this town. You're going to add some like stakes to what is going on with the real estate and the land. Like Michaela even if she's not a major part of another episode, like having her as a side character, I think would have been very, very helpful, especially because again, she was good. Like I really liked that character. And I think, you know, there is the trope about, you know, trans people playing sex workers on TV shows and that's kind of where they ended up. But I I liked that episode because it actually gave us a better sense of the city and of the town as opposed to just focusing on Hank and Britt's personal drama. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I also like the choice that Michaela makes because they have like one of her, uh, like her ex, who I think was a trans woman as well, ends up dead and their parents don't know what happened to them. And to them was their son who went missing for how many years. And so Michaela not only gives them closure, but also doesn't disclose to them that it was a trans woman. And I like that choice, not because... Because it felt like that was important to Michaela, but she was like, okay, I'm now, you know, presenting as, as her male self to these parents to, you know, giving them closure on their son. I don't want to have to dump this other emotional thing on them that they have to process when they're already getting closure on the death of their son. It would have felt like it was a selfish choice for Michaela to be like, oh, and I need you to know this about them as well. When rather it's, you know what, this isn't the right place for it. I want to give them the parents this 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 closure without having to to reveal that. And I thought that was an interesting and also a realistic choice too. So I did like that about that. Um, but I would have liked to see that in more of San Diego. And just backtracking for one second, what you talked about at first. And I did, I liked that episode too. And I think that beginning of the episode set up the best about Britt and Katie the most, especially because they're at the wedding and kind of the way they're talking about it is, or the, I'm sorry, the engagement party. And they talk about the, how, you know, they've been together for a while and it seems like Katie wants to get married and Britt hasn't popped the question yet. And that's what gets Britt to realize that he does love her and marry her. And we saw how infatuated they are with her, too. So it's not. So that was also some showing and not telling exactly, uh, which was helpful as well. But then when she goes and cheats on him, when they're getting so close to to being together and she sees it coming and then she has that conversation with Hank and it's like, oh, she kind of like doesn't feel like she deserves it and abandons it. I'm like that. That's what like that. What makes you say that? I don't know enough about Katie to for that to resonate with me. So that's just another ding mark against that. But yes, all the stuff you said about Michaela also true. All right. I want to talk about your favorite guest star, Kevin. And I know you, you have to be wait, you you have to be excited to talk about Christopher Cousins, right? Of course. Yes. When I when I popped on Hulu and. You know, like his like, you know, you you scroll over episode one, like his face pops up and I immediately took a photo of it and sent it to my other friend who's a big Breaking Bad fan. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Ted Beneke. Here we go. And I almost thought that was part of the reason you chose this show, but apparently not. I this is, again, a case of I did not know that he was in this show. But as soon as I saw his face, I, I don't I didn't remember his 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 actual name. But when I saw him, I was like. It's it's Ted. And 
I have to tell you, I just, I started laughing immediately, especially because he is once again playing an asshole, except this time he's a slightly richer asshole uh, named Robert Lindis, and he's kind of the impetus of the plot. He kind of knows what's going on with the land deals and whatnot, and the potential to kind of demolish this part of San Diego, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just <laughs> the, the main plot of this, which maybe we could get into in a, in a, in a minute or two, but I want to put a bow on what happens to Mr. Lindis, Kevin, because once again, Christopher Cousins plays a character that tries to run away. And in this case, he actually does get murdered. He doesn't just run into a drawer and have a bunch of oranges fall at his, at his body. This time he gets hit by a car and he really does die. <laughs> yes. Uh, when he's not in the hospital with like, uh, you know, that would he like the halo screwed into him either. Um, but again, so one, yes, he's great. Seems very much typecast. Maybe just has that face, um, as an evil person who just isn't smart enough to get away with it entirely. But the other thing too, is this is when you talk about like us watching of these other shows kind of make this show look not so great by comparison. I couldn't help but think about when watching him, I was like, okay, so when Skylar cheats on Walt, with Ted, I a hundred percent understand why that happens in that show and why Skylar does that. And you know when, you know Lindis disappears. I think in like episode five and maybe dies in episode six. The next episode, Kate sleeps with her vet professor, and I'm like, okay, this I don't really understand. And it's accentuated by the fact that I know that Lindis plays Ted Beneke in Breaking Bad, and I know exactly why that happens. So all that stuff swirling around in my brain at the same time. But. Uh, Christopher Cousins is, does an excellent job as this evil land developer in this show. I mean, I kind of wish that they kept him for the whole run. And the, because the problem is the, the layers just get unpeeled and you end yeah. up with Zeitlin and associates and, you know, you end up with this Zeitlin character and his kind of heavy Burke. And then in the last episode, Neil McDonough plays another character. So we're just going up the totem pole, and I don't know what any of this means. Like, Same. why why should I care about any of this that's going on? And again, because we don't have a sense of San Diego or this part of San Diego, like, who cares if they if they build an airport? Like, why does it why does it matter? You haven't made me care about the people, the places. Like, there are ways to do it to where I am invested in this part of the city. And I'm like, no, don't. Don't let him do it. But I just wasn't like I never got a good sense of the geography of this area and just how uh, where everything plays out. And like the best example is where is the country club in relation to Hank's house? Like that was just a big question that I had because I couldn't tell. And it felt like there were times when Hank was getting there in like a minute. But then other times it was taking him like 45 minutes to an hour. So one of the things that I really like about what movies and TV shows can do is like when they give you a general sense of the geography of a space. And I think that's really, really important because I think if you have a sense of the geography of a place, then you can watch it with that information in mind and you can have a clear understanding of, you know, what's going on and why you should care. And, Oh, if this is there, then that means that that's, that's over there. And like the Simpsons, I mean, the Simpsons, a show like that, like it doesn't really matter. Like that's an animated show and they, they can play with the rules. But for a live action drama, I think knowing the geography is super, super important. And with this show, I just didn't have a sense of place throughout. There also isn't a sense of like pride for San Diego, because I think where I do I do like the story in in a general sense about the the land development and stuff. I think you're right when it's like, oh, no, they're building an airport. And you talk to the, I, f I forget what his position is, mayor, someone who's tried to who's stave them off from developing on this land. He's like, because our people don't want this to happen, uh, so on and so forth. It feels like there's a San Diego pride thing in keeping the area the way it is and preserving whatever. But I don't get that sense of pride from either uh, from either Hank or Britt where I feel like them th they're fighting against it because it's you know, it's bad and there's corruption going on in it, but I don't get this sense of pride of like for their city or their love of San Diego either. That really hit, that really makes it resonate with me. So it, it's both the space and that. And I'm, I almost forgot about these characters till you mentioned the Simpsons, but like the three like tech geeks that they work with also felt 
very read. Like they were very much a deus ex machina part of this show. Yeah, I mean, and you compare that. I, I would compare this to like the X Files, the Lone Gunman. Like I couldn't help but think of like this is this is who the Lone Gunman grow up, or this is like younger versions of those characters. What do you think about that? I don't think I've seen the Lone Gunman. Well, they're they're more conspiracy minded, but I I just like or the geeks from The Simpsons. Yes, that's <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's who I also, thought of immediately. Yeah, I mean the Deus Ex Machina thing I think really works out and. I love that in the episode where they're at the engagement party, and this is when we get introduced to a, a journalist named Laura Ross, and they th- and Zeitlin threatens Laura Ross's mom. Who does Hank send to rescue her? The three tech geeks. It's like, <laughs> you couldn't call your detective friend and say to get a cop over there or something. I mean, I don't know that the cops would be of any more use, but I don't feel like these three nerds would be, as, would be of help either. No, it's like unless they're throwing computers at them or something or, you know, beating them in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And I don't even remember, like, why they knew them or how they were able to associate with them. It's it's all very strange. What did you think of Mark Gustafsson? He is the former partner of Hank Dolworth. And I think that in terms of like building this world out, like I think he is supposed to kind of be um, kind of a centerpiece in terms of like why we're supposed to invest and, you know, giving us a hint as to who Hank was. What did you think of that character? I thought it was a great character. I thought he was the most, one of the more reasonable people on the show, mostly because he does know Hank. And I think you're right. It's a good device to kind of link Hank's past to his present. Uh, But he was also a good person to have be Hank's contact in the police department, because there's a line that he gives that I really like that he tells Britt. And, and he says, I forget exactly what it is, but he basically says something along the line that like Hank's going to like let him down or disappoint him. Um, and I think that's a perfect way to exemplify him. But again, it's 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 telling it's telling us and not showing us until it's too late. But I also think it, it obviously gives him a good connection to the police department when he needs more information. And it's somebody who at least if even though he, Mark knows that. Uh, Hank can let him down and he has it's the same thing where it's like okay well he's a PI so he's going to take matters in his own hands and do things the police can't do he also knows that Hank for the most part does things for the right reasons and can get results so him still having that through line that connection and working with him to me still makes enough of sense for some reason I just like the visual of him chewing on those things to get over his cigarette addiction I wish he had stopped it at some point because it was kind of getting annoying fair enough but I but I thought it was an interesting character take, and I just really like that actor, Rockman Dunbar. I don't know if I'd seen him before, but I but I liked him in general. Um, what did you think of him? I did not like him at first, but I think I think they, the writers, I think developed an understanding of who this character could be, and I think the flashback actually did the best job of giving us a sense of Mark's character better in some ways than Hank, which is probably not what you want, but. I think understanding Mark three years ago versus the Mark that we see in this season, I think that the flashback actually probably did him the most good. I did like the performance a lot. I think, I think in some ways the performance was better than the character, but I think he really added some layers to it. So I was, I was very appreciative of that. I think you hit on something there. And and I think that sort of kind of summarizes Terriers is that, you take all the elements and you see a potential there, but it just doesn't come together. I would say so. And I mean, even Hank and Britt's relationship, which I don't think we've talked about. So I want to make sure that we hit on this, but I think Hank and Britt are really entertaining together. I think right from the first episode, I love their dog and pony show with Hank distracting somebody at the door and Britt, like going into all sorts of chaos. I wish we had gotten more of that even because I just think that they have really good uh, platonic chemistry together. And I think some of the best moments are just their pitter patter. And I think that in a, in a better show, I think we would look at Hank and Britt as like one of the best duos in, in the history of TV. I, I can't, I can't really say that here, but I really, I think there's some really good moments between Hank and Britt a lot of those smaller moments that I think made the show worthwhile and entertaining to watch, even if the main plot wasn't always great. Totally agree with that. And I do think though, that there could have been 
like again, we get to see how they came together later in the show, but what what brought them together as these deeper partners? Why do they why do they feel like they need each other? Why do they work together so well? Did did Britt try something else and it didn't work out or did did was he persuaded into being his partner to being was he persuaded by Hank to be his partner for this PI ship with promise of it working out or these other things. So I think there's a, there's more that could have been explored with them, but just seeing them on the surface on the screen was very interesting. Cause it, it, there's, there's this thing where they're obviously both very good at their jobs and they have their good dynamic, but I would have liked them to see the development of that more. Yeah. And I, th- I don't think you necessarily need flashbacks to do it. I know a lot of prestige TV shows, kind of rely on flashbacks to provide that information, but there are ways of doing that that are not just characters talking at each other either. I think there are ways of showing and not telling. So I I, I want to tell you about my favorite character. I, Margaret is my favorite character. What, do you agree or disagree? Is That's the lawyer, correct? Margaret is the lawyer. She actually, I, I just love that she simultaneously, she's, she's very much like a mom, to Brent and Hank because she very clearly cares about them. She wants what's best for them, but she is also clearly sick of their shit. Yeah, and I know her as one as a one episode character from Parks and Rec. But yes, she I don't know that she is my favorite character, but she is excellent as like the person who you need that person to be like, oh, you're my the the person who's their consistent headache who also lays out you know, explicitly what their actions might mean or why they should or shouldn't do certain things. And of course, they're the people who, when she gives birth in the hospital, has to come in and wreck her her happy moment, too, with their bullshit. I also love that they randomly, they barge into her office and she is, uh, she's lactating and yeah. <laughs> she's, she's not even like, she doesn't yell at them. She's just very nonplussed and yes. sarcastic about it. It's just like, clearly this has happened before. Like, not specifically her actions in this case, but clearly they barked in on her before when she's doing something important. Yeah, she's it's it, she's stern, but it is not an over the top performance. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty tremendous. What what else do you want to hit upon, Kevin? Are there any other uh, plot lines, characters you want to hit on? We haven't even talked about uh, the cuckolding storyline that was in episode three that almost made me want to not podcast about the show. <laughs> that was so weird. Uh, I because mean, but again, it was like one of those like, oh, we're gonna do this twist kind of thing on you. But the woman who plays. The wife in that situation, um, she was one of the big characters on Dollhouse. She's great. I forget her name, though. She was, uh, it's Olivia Williams. And she yes. was also Camilla Parker Bowles on the most recent season of The Crown. So that's probably where most people at this point have seen her. Yes, she was also in Dollhouse. Also also the professor in Rushmore. Great in that. So, yeah. So, like, she's fantastic in that episode. And I oh, yeah. That. She's really good. She's great. I like that Hank and her hook up. Two things we haven't talked about. One, the sis- I thought Karina Logue, who played uh, Donald Logue's sister, Stephanie, uh, in the show, did a good job with their character, but it was n- completely needed, less half-baked, felt like it was a gimmick, trying to, to hook some people. But they, really o- tried, they really tried to do something with this mental health stuff, and it just didn't work. They never were specific enough. Like, this, this is a case where you, you actually do need to tell and yes. not just show. You need yes. to come up with something specific and obviously not all mental health diseases are the same. Even if you're bipolar, there are many different categories of being bipolar or schizophrenic or whatever her issue was, but they never addressed it. And I think it was only made worse by the fact that in a later episode, um, they have uh, kind of this one-off character who has amnesia and they're clearly trying to create this contrast. And it just doesn't work because again, they want to, they in some way want to address mental health, but they don't necessarily want to put a name to it. And that, that, that's just not going to work on the most, and like on the most on the surface level way of doing it too. I did like the reporter, Laura Ross at the end played by Allison Elliott. I liked her dynamic with, with Hank a lot. And it made sense that I think that they would vibe and maybe even be a romantic thing along the lines of this is a longer show where she had appeared earlier, but I really liked her and I liked the dynamic she had with Hank. I wish they had introduced her earlier. I think it would have made the show much better. And I think it would have given us another female character to interact with that wasn't 
kind of a familial relationship in some ways. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely would have appreciated uh, Laura being involved earlier. And it feels like they really it feels like they were slowly finding themselves. And it felt like at the end, they definitely came upon a couple characters and a couple storylines that worked. And it just it, it felt like it was too late for a 13 episode run. Yes. Uh, and I say I feel that way about a lot of things that they did, uh, including even I feel like the the main the main big bads, Ben and his henchman, Ray. Like you kind of get them for a few episodes in the beginning, then they go away and sort of reappear. I mean, it, like the the bad in his henchman thing is sort of overdone. I think they did a fine enough job here, especially Zeitman, but could have been better. I think especially when you jump from Christopher, jump from Lindis to them, you almost get too, it almost gets a little too messy. Yeah, because you're adding layers to a situation where we don't know, like, what is the dynamic? Why why does it matter that we're going up the totem pole? Like, you have to give us a sense of the conspiracy before we go to the conspirators, I think. Totally. You're giving us too much of a totem pole and stuff when even, like, your main central characters you haven't gone deep enough in. This is like this is like in pro wrestling when they would slowly introduce more and more directors of authority. And it's just like, who cares? Like, yeah. just, just get to the wrestling. And in this case, yeah. it's like, just get to the plot. Yeah, 100 percent. Or like, you know, spend a little more time with these characters and some depth. So when something happens, it means more to me. I was going to say something I did think was funny was that Hank is at uh, Gretchen and Jason's wedding and he's never spotted. I did appreciate that they didn't go there. Yeah. Um, but that, like at the very end, like he's just barely out of sight. But that I, I very much appreciated that. And I almost wish they played the comedy of that situation more. But yes. it, I think it worked out. <laughs> That actually is my favorite episode, episode 10, Asunder, when Hank's, when Hank's at the hotel for the wrong reasons and ends up caught up in the Zeitlin case and gets a room and he does the thing. And that's when he meets the reporter and gets her out of there. I feel like there's like real tension in that situation. The stuff with Britt and Kate's a little heavy handed with him being like, oh, are you pregnant? Are you not? Like, that's not so great. But I thought that stuff was like, oh, my God, actual drama and story. Holy crap. Like, here we go. I want, I want to hear more of your Brit impression. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. Uh, your Brit impression was like this. Ooh, were you pregnant? Or da, da, da. Yeah, but it was. he was just like, oh, God, it was so bad. But, yeah, like, that's the part. You're like, okay, is this going to bleed into the wedding somehow? We're, like, him getting caught, like, by, uh, by Gretchen being in the hotel and stuff. And that whole situation. Like, there could, like, so to me, there was actual, like, real tension and drama. And, like, when he gets the reporter out of there and is shuffling to her car, like, there's a lot of that stuff that to me was like, oh, my gosh, we're finally getting something in this show. So well, maybe that's part of it why it's my favorite episode. The backdrop to that is that he is also very close to having a drink because. Yes. She's a recovering alcoholic. And there's the moment when he tells Britt, he's like, if I don't do this, I'm going to see the bottom of a scotch bottle in an hour. Yeah, because he, he goes and orders the double drink at the bar and then the bartender turns around. He's gone and he's, you know, splashing water's face. And that was the other thing, too, is I think there's there's all this stuff like that's happening to him through the season where you're like, is he going to crack? And and go back to to the drink. And here he is at his moment and he and he resists. And I'm glad they went that that way as opposed to him, you know, delving into this. But the fact that Brit is there for him, he's at the wedding and he doesn't want to leave for the, you know, for these obvious reasons. But he says that and it's a good way to to get Brit out of there. But it also makes sense to me. Um, So, yeah, so that I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because that was another reason why I liked it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I would say episode 10 is very good. I would say the Michaela episode is probably my favorite, uh, just because I think that is a case of where they clearly have an idea of where they're taking this side character. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons that I appreciate it. That would be episode nine. So we both picked episodes Him, Daddy. We're kind of in the second, in the second half. So, yeah, yeah I, that's I really liked that episode. But episode 10 is also very good. Nine, nine to the end is definitely the strongest of the of the show, for sure, even if the final episode isn't so great. I guess we should talk about the ending, right? Yeah, let's talk about the ending. So we kind of end on a cliffhanger as uh, Britt has decided that he is going to go to jail uh, because he physically assaulted someone like objectively just a terrible, terrible action on his part. But he said he's he's going to take responsibility. He and Hank are literally at a fork. They're kind of at a fork in the road where they can either go to prison or they could go to Mexico. And that's kind of where we end things. 
So do you think if the show had continued, would they have gone to Mexico or would uh, Brit have gone to prison? I have a feeling they would have ended up in Mexico because Brit and Brit can't go to prison for two years. I agree. I feel like if we had gotten a second season, the, the first episode would have been them in Mexico after a passage of time and the end of episode one would have seen them back in San Diego. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that unless they did go to prison and it's two years later. Right. And 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 Brit is coming out like maybe they could have done that. I don't know that they would have necessarily been able to because, I mean, a lot can happen in two years with the with the main plot. So that I think that would have been very, very hard. Do you think they would have told us after all who the who the kid's father was? I don't know that they would have. I think they there's a real possibility they would have kept that a mystery because I don't know that knowing who the father is in this specific case really enhances our understanding of the characters. Sure. So I guess that we didn't even mention that. So Katie has sex with the professor. She ends up pregnant. He tells that to Brit. Brit obviously is in shambles and dumps her. And then, you know, by the end of the season, when he's going to go to jail, he tells her, hey, I don't care who the father is. I want to be the the father to your baby. And they, it seems like, you know, he's going away to prison, but wants her, wants to be the father to the child no matter what, once he gets out. So that's something else that we get to, which is which is nice. That's a nice thing for for Brit to for Brit to decide. But I think as a viewer, I think you would want to know. That's just my instinct. I prefer the resolution to Gretchen and Hanks. Like I know that it's not Hanks' direct fault that Jason was dead, but it kind of is. Yes, there's no way that I would have forgiven Hank for that. I will say though, I, I did really like Gretchen when when he goes to visit her after Jason dies. And Gretchen's just like, everybody says food or everyone says, let me know what to do. Like, I feel like that that anger in the grieving process, it, there's there's some reality to that, because when you're going through this much pain and especially the way that he passed, it's like, how many times can somebody send you a casserole? How many times could someone tell you, like, let me, you know, say you're sorry for your loss or all this other stuff? Like, there's there's something to that uh, with me that I like the way that she acted that out. Yeah, I I think there is there is kind of this way that we do grieving that is just it's very it's a very American way of approaching it. I think just um, just covering the practical elements as opposed to the emotional. Like we're gonna make you casserole, we're gonna give you flowers, we are going to have a ceremony. Like these are all very American things in my view. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's uh, I just saw something on social media is about like you know oh one of my coworkers died. And HR was cleaning out their office and talking about filling their position. It was sort of like, well, that person's dead, moving on. And I don't want to say it was in a cold way, but it was very much like, hey, there's a real person who passed and like their family at home is grieving. But like, you know, in certain situations, it's like, okay, now what are we? There's the practical side of it, too. Um, And I think people are very uncomfortable with death and how to handle it. It's it's pretty wild that this this huge like sex and death are just not covered in school and you would think we would do that but that is for a whole nother podcast and a whole nother that's for a whole nother time kevin any other thoughts uh let's answer the question do we think the show is canceled too soon i would say absolutely i think the show needed i think it needed another season for me to consider this like a really really outstanding show because i just i didn't see it yeah so from that perspective yes but i almost feel like no, I don't think it was canceled too soon. Like it showed promise at the end, but it's almost like, well, it kind of you, you had your chance and you blew it. Like you, you kind of wasted eight episodes to get there. So I feel like the show I would have preferred like a fresh start, like either the actors or the writers or some way like it just be like, well, throw, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and start fresh with the season one. Something that doesn't have a backstory and all these other things in season one that we need to clean up. Like I'd like to see this this crew, this crew try again. Is if that makes sense, rather than I almost I think having more one-offs would have really helped. I think a show like Justified does a much better job of balancing. Like we're gonna have these one-off cases, but we're also gonna have like this long storyline. I think that show does a significantly better job of balancing those two things because I think if you're gonna be a TV show, especially 13 episodes, you have to have like individual episodes and kind of the one-offs and i like them in theory but i wish that they they needed to add more flavor and investment and i don't think that they ever did in except in a couple very specific cases so i think for me i i would love to have seen a second season just to see 
what they could have come up with because I think there is there is a there's some very good potential here. It's just unfortunate that nobody watched, even though uh, critics very clearly loved the show. And I think part of the thing that's so odd about this is that this is FX, and FX does have a tendency to give their shows uh, some rope. But in this case, because the ratings were so low in 2010 numbers, and there was really no streaming to speak of, uh, this show just was not going to be able to find an audience, whereas... So I'm going to compare this to The Bear, which Kevin and I are always texting each other about. I think The Bear is also a very poorly titled show, right? Would you agree? Yeah, I would. And I think it's also another show that has weird, like it has a weird sense of like balance to it. But I think the difference is because that show is streaming, because all all eight episodes were there, I think they also did a better job balancing the tone. That's why I think a show like The Bear is successful and something like Terriers isn't. Even though both have poor titles, both you would have a hard time marketing those shows. I think The Bear is able to kind of be successful where Terriers wasn't because of the the things that just exist now. The the streaming infrastructure, being able to have, you know, better actors maybe having a higher budget and all that. I think there is something to that, but I also think the bear is so unique. Whereas terriers, I feel like I've seen buddy, you know, buddy cop shows or, or detective shows or, or just drama shows in general done so much better with the same elements. So it's like, it's good, but is it good enough to, to play with some of the, the people who do sort of the same things better? It just didn't feel like it had a uniqueness to it to have even, I can see why people watch this and they're sort of like, ah, I've seen this done better elsewhere and, and sort of turn off where the bear in and of itself is just a better show in general, but also just so much more unique. Like there, to me, there's not much else out there like it where I feel like terriers was trying to find something to, to again, like it's trying to find a unique hook in there somewhere and it just never settled on something. Yeah. I think, I think you make a reasonable point. I just, I, I was trying to, to find that comparison point, because I think we could look at the history of TV and just find um, some shows that are in a, in a very similar boat. And that's, uh, that's about it. That's, that's really all I have to say about terriers. Anything else, Kevin? No, not really. Um, I'd be interested to know the expenses behind it too. Cause I'm sure that's probably a big, you know, thing about it. Like even if a show's not doing the best in the ratings, but it's still first run, but relatively inexpensive to make. Maybe that's something to it, too. Maybe that gets it into a second season or something. Although, again, we talk about how small the show is. You're like, gosh, how how expensive could it be? But you're filming in California and all this other stuff. So not much to say about it. I I would not recommend it. I don't think it was I'm I'm not mad. I watch it. I'm not upset. I watch it. I'm glad I got to see it just to have a just a sense of a show. Because I think it's it it was uh, I don't want to say bold. That might be a bit too much but i but i I'm, i thought it was an interesting for us to both watch a show that neither of us had seen and i'm actually glad we're doing it again for next month with a different type of show yeah and i'll get to that in a second i would say i would offer a slight recommendation especially if you are uh, a completist of some of the people behind the show as i mentioned there are a number of writers who are very prominent and i think this show is i think the show is more interesting as a curiosity than an actual show. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. But speaking of curiosities, we will be taking a look at Mike White's TV show, Enlightened. Mike White is one of those people. How many times have we talked about him on this on this run of podcasts? Let's see, a handful of times, because he was in Undeclared, which I'm mad you didn't tell me something about this show that I'll mention in a second. Uh, what else would he have talked about him in? Freaks and Geeks. He Freaks was a and Geeks, yes. Freaks and Geeks. Uh, I don't know if we ever mentioned, I don't know if we've ever mentioned the, the show school of rock or the movie school of rock, but I love that movie. We'll be talking about him again in March. There's a hint. So yeah, at least twice, one more on the books. So, and that doesn't even, that doesn't even count the fact that he has been a contestant on survivor and the amazing race. That's true. And of course he's obviously had recent success with an HBO, uh, series, I, I don't know, a, sm- a small show. I don't know that many people have heard about it or watched it. <laughs> so can I just tell you, Kevin, that I think it's genuinely hilarious that Mike White has had all of these shows that are canceled too soon, and he finally finds success with the show that was supposed to be a limited series. 
I it's the craziest thing. I feel like that's a lot of like you hear these stories about like just people who are these troubadours or whatever. They have these long careers whenever and just nothing seems sick. Nothing seems to work out and they're ready to give up. And then bam, something happens and it explodes out of nowhere. And I think that's a story with, uh, with white, with Mike white and white Lotus. So we will not be discussing the white Lotus, but I'm sure it will come up. We are going it hasn't to be been canceled yet. Uh, there's going to be a third season in fact. So it's going to be, it's going to be Mike White's longest running show at this point, but we will be talking about the two seasons of Enlightened, which you can find streaming for now on HBO Max. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to be discussing Laura Dern and her greatness and uh, Mike White. And again, we will have not seen the show. Hopefully it works out better this time. Yeah. So another show that you and I have not seen and I'll be I'll be taking the reins for this one. And I'm kind of glad because and I'm mad at you for not telling me that it stars Tim Sharp. Sorry. I mean, I don't know what to say. I, I'm just really good at this. I'm good. I'm good at unwittingly knowing picking shows that have interesting guest stars or stars. Well, that and that's and that's Marshall from Undeclared for people who aren't putting two and two together because I've not seen him in anything else. Or if I have, I, you know, he oh, he was on an episode of this or that and I didn't even recognize it was him. So going to be exciting to, for me to see what Marshall does 10 years later in a totally different show. Yep, absolutely. So for Kevin, my name is Jerome. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next month. I also can't recommend the show because when Britt and Katie break up and one of them has to take the dog, that uh, that was very heartbreaking for me. <laughs>